This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Next on Plains FM, we have Movie Talk, a program for all things cinema-esque, for the discerning film and video junkie. Welcome again to Movie Talk. Today we'll be looking at three films all based on real-life people and events. Emily looks at the formative years of the author of Wuthering Heights, Emily Bronte, and Mr Organ is a New Zealand documentary about a man who upset many lives. And in She Said, we follow two New York Times journalists' exposure of sexual abuse by Harvey Weinstein during decades of harassment. Emily, how did you write Wuthering Heights? (laughs) Shall we begin? Miss Emily Bronte. You're off to become a wonderful teacher. You know I don't like to meet new people. What do you want to do? Do you think I could be a writer? Emily follows the journey to adult womanhood of a young rebel and misfit, Emily Bronte, who became author of Wuthering Heights and also one of the world's most famous and provocative writers. Carolyn Brown's been off to the Alice cinemas to see this fascinating, supposedly biographical movie about someone about whom there is actually very little known. Uh, Carolyn, you've read Emily Bronte's novel, whereas I certainly haven't. So what did you think of Emily's movie? I think once I was able to disconnect historical fact from what was on screen, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, Yes, there is very little known about Emily, but what there is known are important dates and everything and relations, and and that that gets played around with in this film um, quite a bit. But that doesn't mean it's a bad film. It's a lovely period drama. Um, Mm, It's an autobiographical autobiographical fiction, I think is the term that's been thrown around these days, that allows writers to rewrite the lives of um, well-known figures and just play with the facts. <laughs> <laughs> well, in this case, there are so few known facts that she can yeah, you think that, get away with Yeah, you'd think that it. she should have hmm. actually stuck, like, kept the important dates um, like, and things in it as well, like the fact that um, Charlotte, uh, Emily, she didn't publish the book under her own name. She published it under a pseudonym. Um, all of her sisters did um, because it wasn't a time when women should yeah, write. Yeah, yeah. But in the film, yeah. it's she's shown as read it, looking at the cover of the book with her name on it, and she wasn't yeah. alive when it was changed. But anyway, apart yes, from those yes, small yes. things, yeah, like she where, died shortly <laughs> afterwards. She was about twenty nine or something. Um, yeah, mm. two years later. So she wrote oh, yeah. um, Wuthering Heights in eighteen forty seven, and then she died in eighteen forty nine. But uh-huh. As I said, take that apart. As a period drama and and, and storyline, and this is a directorial debut for Frances Connor as well, it's really good. It's lovely. It's um it's got a sense of Wuthering Heights in it in terms of the angst and the twisting of stories and 
the motion of the moors and, the, and the, what that evokes yeah. and the, the time period of poverty. And, and there's a bit of supernatural stuff in it, which um, in the terms um, of ghosts, which is in Wuthering Heights. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, like, uh, uh, to, well, I don't know if this was deliberately done as such, but quite early. Uh, this is um, set out in the, very much out in the British countryside. Yes, yeah. And um, quite early in the film, there's one fellow, uh, because they, uh, the, all these sisters, particularly the main three that come yep. up in Charlotte the film. Charlotte and Emily, mm, yep. yeah. Um, you know, they, they, they're all um, looked after by one father. Who, yes, their mother. Uh, their life is quite tragic, really. Yeah, the mother had died a few years earlier, and, mm. and now the father, he, he's... Um, He's a minister in the church, and uh, but he also sort of tries to run their lives as he does. Yeah, with his mm, help of his sister-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yes, and um, you know one thing that somebody at that stage amongst these religious people goes on to say that that they believe that uh, when they think of God, that He has even come down in. In the rain, mm-hmm. and you can feel God in that way. But the main interesting thing is out in that country, and this is what's so good about this film: the the setting, the filming is excellent. In the, yes, the it is beautiful. Side scenes, uh, uh, little homes around a village type thing, or wherever they are, whatever they're doing, and um, and it seems to be raining. A lot. A lot. It's on a the moors. So yes. Yeah. And you know, I always keep wondering, I wonder if God is in that for <laughs> these people. <laughs> As I said, the cinematography is beautiful. The sets, mm. the design, the clothing, the actresses yep. who play are in this film. Um, they all do their job really, really well. It's just those little pedantic things about the timeline and stuff. Well, well you, you point out, I mean, it, there is quite a strong, uh, well, the, there's that sub um, plot about um, Emily's relationship with this with the uh, parson, uh, yeah, yeah, with the who work also works at the church there, yeah, and and he's also um, teaching, helping her with um, her French yes. uh, lessons and this sort of thing, and then there's a, a, some sort of odd relationship starts. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, it provides the, lo- the love interest because the people have argued that um, so the book Wuthering Heights has a lot of carnal knowledge in it. And for a start, people thought it had to have been written by a man because of the language and of the knowledge of carnal desires oh. in, in the book. And in those days, uh, women didn't go into that sort no, of thing. No, of course or... not, because hmm. we were all lovely and petite and knew nothing about that. Um, <laughs> but So I think what the writer of this film was trying to do was to introduce a love interest that would explain how Emily was able to write such um, such amazing book mm. about love and the relationship between men and women and everything like that. And so she's created this fictional f- fictional love interest, which yeah. uh, by all accounts, by what is known, actually occurred between Charlotte and Emily, not mm. Emily. And now, anyway. I'm, I'm a bit confused about which of these sisters wrote. Now, the Char- uh, there's Charlotte, her uh, sister. Yeah, the older uh, sister. She did write Jane Eyre. She did, yeah. Um, but was she also involved with this? Uh, she edited um, the second edition of Wuthering Heights after her sister died. So she corrected some of the um, the grammar and the punctuation. And funny enough, she corrected the dialect. dialect. But anyway, that that's about Wuthering Heights, not this film. Um, and the and this, the relationship between Charlotte and Emily are, is shown in this film and Anne as well, how they were very close and how 
I, the film doesn't go into the fact that they lost other siblings at a young age um, as well as I losing see. a yeah, mother. So yeah. they were very close and they created this fantasy world and that's shown in the film a little bit. Um, yes. The, the world that they created between them. Yes. So, yeah. Hmm. Oh, no, I, I found it fascinating stuff. I mean, to me, yeah, I, I know very little the about the yeah. Bronte sisters or their books, but to you, I mean, this must have been absolutely fascinating stuff. It was, but yeah, I think you enjoyed the film as well. Oh, yes, yeah. I did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's the important well, thing. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> That was Carolyn Brown with her views on Emily, and I'm Hans Petrovic on Plains FM 96.9. There's a gap in my blinds, and I keep thinking, when I open my eyes, I'll see him staring back at me through the gap. Oh, hi, it's David Farrier speaking. I'm a journalist based in Auckland. How are you doing? No, I'm perfect. Thank you. Bye. A full-scale war was breaking out on the streets of an Auckland suburb. A wheel clamper who was then demanding they pay to get their vehicles back. You are a crook. I'm literally trying to give you 400 bucks cash. Uncontrolled, exorbitant, intimidating behaviour. In the New Zealand documentary Mr Organ, journalist and filmmaker David Farrier presents a true story of psychological warfare with an insidious liar. Robin Munro's been off to the Lumia cinemas to see this incredibly disturbing film. Robin, I know this is a true story about a real man, but I still found it hard to believe. What did you think of Mr Organ, both the man and the movie. Well, it's an extraordinary film, and I'm not sure that David Ferrier actually set out to uh, make this film, but he sort of got sucked into this man's wiles. He's a master manipulator, and I think many people would uh, turn their heels and walk away from him. Um, But unfortunately, there are quite a few vulnerable people who, for one reason or other, are unable to resist him and have mm. fallen prey to his wiles. Well, for, for journalists also, I mean, I, mean, he obviously, he, I think he liked to follow up more offbeat subjects for, the, for what he wrote and for the films he made, documentary-type films this fellow makes. And um, so this, I think, would automatically um, you know, get him involved. Well, um, it started off with David Ferrier uh, noticing and reporting that Michael Organ was clamping cars in a private car park and he was charging exorbitant fees for the clamps to be removed. He not only charged up to $760 to unclamp a car, but he also drove in front of the people who had parked there, blocking them from leaving, and he eagerly argued, harassed, and belittled them. And and that, that got to be a bit much. But because of uh, David Farrier's reporting, the antique shop that the car park was next to closed, and he went there after it was closed, found a couple of signs for the shop next uh, to some rubbish bins, and he souvenired them. But as a result, he took these home, and he was sued by Mr. Organ, or taken to court by Mr. Organ, and had to pay a fine of $3,000. <laughs> and he'd wanted, he thought that the answer to the court case might be returning the signs, but someone had gone under his house and removed the signs, so yes. that remedy wasn't possible. So he had to go to court. And also, by going to court, this man, Mr. Organ, is, is what they call a bush lawyer, not a 
properly trained lawyer, but he was very well, much into taking people to court. Well, he'd spent so much time in court himself. Yes. <laughs> and, but, but he also, that he picked it up along the way. But also he's got that high sort of intelligence that he can then use this exactly himself and the whole technique of the way lawyers argue in defence or prosecution, whatever they're doing. And uh, and he knew all of this perfectly, mm. <laughs> better than some lawyers, I'd say. <laughs> but he also, he also had David Ferrier's phone number and started to ring him. And although David Ferrier did decide to make a film, Mr. Organ seemed to be quite willing to be filmed um, making his endless uh, rants and um, Organ, uh, sorry, Farrier found out that Organ had once claimed to be a prince, that he's very vengeful, um, that his behaviour had disturbed a lot of his former flatmates, and that he once stole the yacht of a landlord who had evicted him oh, and yes. served time in jail, and his family don't want to know him. And we get an awful lot of this, and it, it, it does become, to a degree, boring. We, we wonder where this movie is going. Yeah, and well, well, what fascinated me is that, I mean, he, he, I can understand why he would want to make a film about such a crazy, uh, manipulative um, fellow like this. But then, you know, he got so deeply involved himself and then found that um, Mr. Organ himself was quite happy to be in this film. Mm. Which I, I just couldn't understand or believe. I mean, if they're making a critic, highly critical film about somebody, all the terrible things he's done in his life, and he, he's quite happy to be there. Well, I, I think <laughs> Mr. Organ cannot complain that he wasn't given a chance to give his side. He's given lots and lots of time in the movie. But he also, but we just see that as him lying. <laughs> yes, and, and, and I mean, poor Mr. Farrier must have uh, had an awful lot more than what we even see in the film. And Organ somehow got hold of uh, Farrier's house key and, um, oh, yes. and, and Farrier be himself became quite disturbed and uh, he clearly does not want any more contact with Mr. Organ now, although one wonders what the consequence of the film will be. <laughs> yes. Well, I just don't know. It's, um, you know, I, I, I just never said, yeah, like um, if this had been a fictional story that was being told instead of an actual documentary with real people in it, I would have found the whole story about, of this man and his difficult to believe. Mm-hmm. Mm. I just, you know, I said, oh, no, come on, this is pushing, this is exaggerating the whole thing. No bloke could be such a terrible fellow like this, such a big idiot in some ways and such a brilliant manipulator of other people's other people that in another way, you know, it's, it's, it just seemed a bit or too much for me. Mm. But... It's amazing. <laughs> well, he, he dwells among the dispossessed, the poor, and the people who are on the verge of homelessness and mm. that. But there's also really quite a wonderful New Zealand voice that comes through. And some of these people themselves, they may have been victims of him or vulnerable to him, but they are able to speak the truth about him, which it is hard to sort out all this babble that he goes on about and him praising himself and his relationships and so on. But um, we, we really do get some revelations in the end, which I won't reveal, but some of them indeed um, come from uh, these people who are really on the fringes of society, and uh, I think it really is a, a meaningful and, and worthwhile film. Yeah, I mean, it was incredible how many people, he made a point of living with other people, and then, of course, unfortunately, he used them or manipulated them in such a way that 
uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think there was one. You know, I think you mentioned there's even one case of suicide there, and and all this sort of thing. Well, I think this film is fascinating and well worth seeing. But Absolutely. be warned, it's not easy going. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. That was Robin Munro with his views on Mr. Organ and I'm Hans Petrovic on Plains FM 96.9. I also thank this show's sponsor, the Harcourt's Grenadier Accommodation Centre, which is now located at 98 Morehouse Avenue. If you're looking for a place to live, check out the Harcourt's Accommodation Centre website. That's assetmanagers.co.nz. That address again. Asset managers, one word, dot co, dot NZ. Why is sexual harassment so pervasive and so hard to address? Let's interrogate the whole system. Hi, my name is Jody Cantor. I'm an investigative reporter for the New York Times. What have you got? I was told that the wrongdoing in Hollywood is overwhelming. I don't want to be quoted. Period. Understood. In your previous stories, How did you persuade women to tell you what had happened to them? Based on fact, She Said tells the intense story of the investigation by two New York Times female reporters of sexual abuse by a powerful Hollywood filmmaker, Harvey Weinstein, which led to countless subsequent revelations about such harassment. Mary Gibson has been off to the Academy Cinema to see this close-up account of the report, which shattered a long period of silence about sexual assault. Uh, Mary, what did you think of She Said? Yeah, I thought this was a really good movie. Um, It's really worthwhile seeing because it does um, tackle this issue head-on and um, it was these two journalists played by Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan as um, Tui and Cantor. And they are really, really good in it. Carrie Mulligan, I've all, I love anyway. Whatever she's in, she's fabulous. I don't really know um, Zoe Kazan that well, but she was brilliant. She was really the lead journalist. What this movie does, I think, is highlights an issue that's obviously it's in the workplace it's everywhere it's nothing new it's been going on for years and years and years and I think that what you're this, talking about sexual assault uh, uh, sexual and harass, harassment, harassment not, a, yeah. not assault so much but harassment ah, whether yep. it's verbal or physical whatever yeah. form it takes and this is by men in the uh, uh, and women uh, men and, and women in the workplaces that's been going hmm. on since Adam was a cowboy basically <laughs> Um, it's nothing new, but what the and and what was happening in the entertainment industry in particular, and this obviously relates to Harvey Weinstein, is that power spoke volumes, and the people behind that power basically were able to. Um, not just cover up, but sweep under the carpet all of these issues mm. and complaints. Yeah. And, and what what this does is um, because you know that they, they these investigative journalists were actually originally investigating Donald Trump and his sexual harassment of of um, women in the in the Miss Universe contest and 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 um, <laughs> uh, throughout his businesses and so on. And so what what it does is it investigates a much bigger issue: is how wide spread it is and how 
um, endemic in organisations, and and I think that um, you know it tackles it really, really well. It's, yeah. it's a story we know. We've seen it in the media. We've seen it play out in the courtrooms um, in terms of Harvey Weinstein. But I think it goes further and deeper than that. Yes, oh and, yes. Well, to me, it's it's it, it basically the, the film is not just about um, sexual harassment, and that's it. It's also the um, giving the women the ability to speak out about these things afterwards, whereas up until that time, most uh, uh, women involved in cases like this, particularly at their work, um, were too concerned to, to say a word about it. and uh, Well, either they were being paid off to, to keep quiet or they just did not want to make this information public about what happened well, I, to I, themselves. And now... This has opened these women up or given them the Well, the I think that that's an interesting point because up to that point, that there, no, people did speak out, but they were just brushed aside. Yeah. So that they, they did speak out, um, but they were not taken seriously. And um, I, they were dismissed because... Was there any witnesses? Were there any witnesses to this sexual harassment? Yeah. And yeah. if there were no witnesses, it doesn't exist. And so the the comment is, and that they make is, do you think that speaking out might stop him? Because they know that they have spoken out, they are survivors, but it has not stopped him. And so it wasn't until, um, you know, Ashley Judd said, "I will go on the record." As, as being harassed, you know, because you had that whole situation with Gwyneth Paltrow. And I think it's interesting that this movie is produced by Brad Pitt through his Plan B <laughs> company. And he, yeah. at the time of that harassment, was her fiancé. So I think it's re- it speaks volumes to his sense of what happened in the industry. He probably would have punched Weinstein if he could have at the time, but, you know, that, that wasn't really possible. So... Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one, and there's a, there's a saying in there that goes, when an iron pot hits a clay pot, the clay pot breaks, and when a clay pot hits an iron pot, the clay pot breaks. And Harvey Weinstein was the iron pot. He had immeasurable money and power. He didn't hesitate to tell the young women that he could make their careers or make sure they never had a chance at one. So you had all of this playing out, in, yeah, in, yeah. in their lives. And so why would they risk speaking out? And when they yeah. saw what was done, particularly even if you look at Trump, where they were paid off, or and, and these women were paid off too oh, yes. to, for mm. silence, but they were broken. They never worked again in the industry, all of those things. So I, I think what the, these journalists remind me of the Watergate exposure where they've they are so persistent, they haven't stopped, and they had the support of the New York Times. And that's why Trump hates the New York Times, because they <laughs> ah, tell the so, truth. Yeah. yeah. But the, in and, their and own also, way. I mean, this, um, what happened here with this um, article in the New York Times, this is sort of now also um, ended up with the beginning or the building up of this Me Too movement mm. in which women will react positively. If they hear about somebody else who's um, been harassed, and then they will now much more easily 
step forward and say, well, the same thing also happened to me and that kind of thing, which before hadn't hardly know what would yeah, do. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. And, and I think, you know, even in our own country here, a lot of people, if they are harassed, will often still not speak up because will they be believed? You know, will, there were no witnesses. Will they actually listen to me? And you hear that a lot in, in mm. you know, rape yeah. cases and so yeah. on. They never go to court because the person is so traumatised. Yes. But if you get half a dozen people, women standing yeah. up and, and yeah. all saying the yeah. same thing, yeah. wow. Yeah, totally. That's yeah. Um, and, and that's then. what they needed. They needed mm. the power of numbers yes. to actually yes. even print the story. yes. You know, mm. so I think that that's that's yeah, poof, it is powerful and it it does speak volumes. Um, and and I think that that you it really is a movie that should be seen for yeah. that alone. For that alone, it's it's an yeah. important film. It yes. is just yeah. like everything else that's in it. Yes, yes absolutely. Okay. We could talk about it for hours, but you yeah. know, because there's so much content. Good, thank you, Mary. That was Mary Gibson with her views on She Said, and I'm Hans Petrovic inviting you to listen to Movie Talk again on Plains FM 96.9 at midday next Wednesday. This program will also be repeated at midday on Saturday, and you can listen to podcasts of earlier episodes on the Plains FM website. That's plainsfm.org.nz. Mm-hmm.